Right, we've walked through an interesting summer series, one that had a lot of fun words attached to it, like play and create and, and let's go have some fun. But today we talk about grief. That is an interesting word to, to throw into the mix. For me, this summer series has been really interesting because I think in the summer, sometimes we just throw our spirituality on vacation and we go, well, we'll get back to it in the fall once we've kind of taken a couple months just to kind of relax and enjoy what summer is. Next weekend's our final summer long weekend of of 2021. I don't need to remind you of that. I'd encourage you to grab a few of your friends inside and outside of the church and watch our service together. You know we record it. Be the church that is scattered. If we can't figure out how to be the church outside of these walls, then I believe we will be limited in our understanding of church inside these walls. Next week, I'm talking about rest. So we end the summer series with rest. And I think for some of us, the grief of summer's done. I won't be able to rest until Christmas comes, and then maybe it's not even Christmas I can rest. So today we talk about grief. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go to one of my favorite passages of Scripture, which is in Psalm 34, verse 8, where it says this, Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him who finds comfort, who finds rest, who finds refuge, who finds comfort, whatever word we want to throw in there, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, God has wired us just like that verse says. If I was to say to you, what's your favorite chocolate bar? Some of you will now be lost for the next 25 minutes when you leave this service. You'll go grab your favorite chocolate bar. Maybe your wife has it in, your, in her purse for you. But if I asked, what's your favorite chocolate bar? God has wired us. God has created us in such a way that we remember exactly what our favorite chocolate bar tastes like. We know what the peanut butter inside Reese's peanut butter cup tastes like. It doesn't taste like craft peanut butter. And so the question that I want to ask before we get into what grief is, is what does God taste like to you? You know, I, I had the privilege, and for some of us that are good North American Baptist individuals, when I say chain of love, I've been to chain of love a bunch of times. I think six or seven times I've been to Chain of Love. Now, in Brazil, we love eating in Brazil. Brazil is spectacular from a food standpoint. They have tons of meat. We love meat. They don't have chicken, but they have chicken hearts. They have chicken heart pizza. They have chicken heart skewers. And of course, being a great visitor, I decided that this was the time I would eat chicken hearts. Now, you can imagine what chicken hearts taste like. I don't need to really describe what it tastes like. You can figure out your own taste. It tastes worse than what you're thinking in your, in your mind. But they love it. There was a time when Maris and, and 
I went to, to Disneyland by ourselves. I was doing some training down for a group in California. We ordered steak, and we all know what steak tastes like. And as I cut into my steak and I put it in my mouth, that taste that I had in my mind was not the taste that I experienced. It wasn't what I expected. I bit into it, and the salt quantity that was in that steak allowed me to never want to eat a steak at that restaurant again. But isn't that life? Isn't that what life is all about? We kind of set off on a trajectory, and then brokenness comes in, or grief, or pain, or struggle. I don't know why life throws us curveballs. It does. I have no clue why on earth God decided to create tornadoes or hurricanes or flies or even mosquitoes. But God did. And in that, life can hurt sometimes. I've asked the same questions of God that you've asked. Why? God, why do you allow suffering and pain? Why don't you just take it all away? Where are you, God, when life does not make sense? You and I all believe that God is all-powerful. So we know that God could stop all evil and suffering. And we know that God is all-loving, so therefore, he should stop all evil and suffering. So we believe that God could and should but doesn't. And you and I sometimes think that God just doesn't care. Have you been struggling as you've walked through all the struggles and the suffering you've experienced? It's been amplified over this last year. Isn't life supposed to be easy and perfect once I follow Jesus? Matt, I'm, I'm all in. But why is life not getting any easier? Listen to this Old Testament truth from Deuteronomy chapter 30. It'll come on your screen. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, well, that's not motivating. Life doesn't make sense. There's pain. God is okay with us crying out to him. Where are you in all of this? It'd be foolish for me to assume that there's not pain in this room or pain online with our friends who are watching us that way. Maybe there's pain that, that we've hidden, or worse off, many of us feel that it's wrong. Maybe even we'd go as far as it's a sin to doubt or even question God. Today, I want you to know that God is big enough, He's strong enough, He's powerful enough, He's wise enough to deal with whatever life throws at you. God wants us to hold on to him. That's why he gave us that verse in Psalm. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
Now, before I explain to you everything that I think I'm supposed to talk to you about, I want you to go to class with me for a minute. Let me explain to you the Christian life. Just like there's adolescent development, there's actually a spiritual development process. You see, our Christian life starts in simplicity. Simplicity then leads to complexity. When you and I accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we have simplicity. And then something happens, like the loss of a grandparent or a parent. The diagnosis that we might find at the doctor this week, that suddenly our life goes from simple to complex. And in complexity, we start to wrestle through, God, are you actually here? God, do you actually care? God, are you actually interested in what's happening in my life? That's perplexity. And many of us have started to get nervous when we enter complexity and perplexity. We think our Christian life is just supposed to be simple. But it's not. That's the brokenness of this world. Now on your screen, you're seeing the, the four words. That, that fourth and final word is humility. Now in between perplexity and humility is something that we would label as our crisis of faith. And many of us have had a crisis of faith. Where we've went, do I really believe this? You see, the, the crisis of faith either causes us to fall deeper in love with Jesus or to walk away because it's too much work. If we actually choose to fight through those struggles that we have, it actually leads to a life of humility where we say those words that was at the start of Rick Warren's great book, Purpose Driven Life, it's not about me. That's humility. Humility is when I go, it's not about me. You see, you, you can't fall in love with God in a deep way or even live this life that is the one that you and I are living in without going through this process that's on the screen. See, we've all had a crisis of faith. On the other side of that crisis of faith is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control. If you don't believe me, think of David. David penned 150 bo uh, books and a chapter, sorry, in the Bible where he kept saying, where are you, God? Do you remember Gideon? He threw out his fleece to God. Okay, God, if this is really you, I need you to do this for me. Do you remember Moses declaring, I can't speak. God, pick someone else. It's not about me. It's about humility. Trusting God in spite of all that we see here on earth. I'm going to read to you a long story from Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 32. Genesis 32, it's a great picture of our relationship with God. And I could have picked verses here and there, but it actually is more powerful if we read the entire chapter together. You're not going to see it on the screen. Just listen to the words. You'll see the start and then you'll see the end. Genesis 32 Whenever we read God's word, we want to go, what's it revealing about God and what's it revealing about us? Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, I mean, sorry, Genesis 32 verse 1, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place 
Verse 3, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your, Jake, your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I've got lots of cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending you this message that you might like me that I might find favor in your eyes. It's interesting. That's the relationship now of the brothers. When the messengers, verse 6, returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Look, verse 7. This is a family relationship. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Verse 9, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. He's like going through the whole genealogy. Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I'll make you prosper. I am, I am unworthy of all the kindness, the faithfulness that you've shown. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Verse 11, this is our cry. Save me. I pray from the hand of my brother. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me and the mothers of my children. But you have said, God, I will surely make you prosper. I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which can't be counted. A lot of fear. He spent the night there, verse 13, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother. He's doing everything. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 20, 200 oos, 20 rams, 30 female camels. This is not a gift you wrap. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me. Keep some space between the herds. Almost like the gift that keeps giving, okay? Can you see that in your mind? It's the, okay, we're going to have all these herds so that Esau goes, Oh, wow, that's a gift. Oh, wow, that's another gift. Oh, that's even a better, oh, wow. Okay, verse 17. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you're to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others you're to say the same thing. Verse 20, make sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For Jacob thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, maybe he'll be so amazed at all the gifts he'll receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he spent himself, he spent himself in the camp. That night, Jacob got up, took his wives, his female servants, his 11 sons. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrecked as he wrestled with the man. 
Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said this, and this is huge for us this morning. Your name will no longer be Jacob, which means deceit. You have struggled with God. Well, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and my life was spared. So Jacob went from the deceit to Israel, which meant kingdom. Verse 31, The sun rose ahead of him, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites don't eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because that's where he was touched. Wow. Wow. When God gave us that gift of life, he allowed us the capacity to hurt. Freedom, choice, always comes with consequences. God gave humankind freedom. We are not creature, sorry, we're not creature, we're not people, we'll say that, who are void of choice creatures. There you go. We don't serve God. We don't live in this world as robots. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says this, and God keeps reminding us, so do not fear. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. I'm your God. I'm going to strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Jesus is present. He's involved in our lives even when we can't understand why we don't hear from him. Or where he is because of this grief or suffering that you and I are facing. God encourages us to ask the tough questions. He's not insecure. He's God. He's not afraid of your questions. He has the answers. God knows the hardships and cruelties of this life. God knows that those things will raise tough questions in your mind. God does not want blind, unquestioning obedience. Think back to Jacob. Sometimes we just have to wrestle with God and hold on to what we know. But that doesn't mean that we have to like it. Maybe you've asked yourself this question, God, why did this happen? God, why did you allow this circumstance or suffering or pain or situation into my life? It's an awful mess. And there's no good way to describe it. The Bible is full of those same questions. People ask, God, why do you stand far off? God, why is there times of trouble that actually happen? God, how long will you hide your face from me? Here's something that I want to talk to you for a few minutes about. How you perceive pain isn't always reality. Let me say that. How you perceive pain or grief isn't always reality. We must not assume God's silent or apparent inactivity as an apparent evidence of his disinterest. How do we feel about God as a result in suffering in no way changes who God really is? 
Loving God and, and growing in faith does not guarantee a happy and carefree life. Just because someone may be going through tough times and hurting does not mean that God is not at work. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus told his disciples that they were to anticipate, or in other translations, expect suffering. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. With God, even though nothing is happening, something is always happening. Believe the truth, not what you feel. He has a plan, even when we struggle and hurt. Here's the reality. The healing we want for our grief or our pain or our suffering is not usually easy. Because we can't always find God in our situation. It's not to say he is absent. It is to say, however, that sometimes we may not see him or feel him. As John the Baptist lay imprisoned for his faith, he did what many of us would have done. He questioned, why am I here and what's going on? In Matthew 11, verse 3, John sent a message to Jesus from his prison cell and asked that simple question, the one that you and I have asked. Are you really here or should we expect someone else? He had not given up on Jesus by any means. But if you're going to lose your head over something, first check the questions that are swirling inside of it. Someone said this, interestingly enough, pain and suffering do not cause the greatest damage. Confusion is the one that shreds one's faith. The human spirit is capable of, of withstanding enormous discomfort, including the prospect of death, if the circumstances make sense. In John chapter 9, verse 6, we read where Jesus spits on the ground and he makes clay. Then he applies it to the eyes of the blind man and told the blind man to go and wash it off. That mud on the guy's eyes was hardly the, he the healing that I would have preferred. Just touch my eyes, Jesus. Just say the words. Just heal me. Why do you have to make mud? Maybe that's why the duration of our suffering is extended. You and I are looking for another way. We're looking for another alternative. Maybe you and I are resisting God's present interaction because it's not what we expected. There are some questions that we just don't have answers for. In that same chapter, John chapter 9, verse 25, when the man was questioned a second time about who Jesus was and how he enabled a man to see, the man responds like this, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. No one seemed understood to understand what was going on there. The man's parents were called to verify that this was actually the blind son. And they can't even explain why he can now see. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, are confused. And people who are witnessing all of this are still looking for answers from others. Pain and suffering, grief, doesn't always have explanations. 
But they do come with a promise. I am with you. Trust me. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and future. Those who know the path to God can find it in the dark. And sometimes it's a rocky, hard path with many bumps and bruises, some pain and turmoil, simply to meet Jesus. Here's the greatest lie that you will ever hear from Satan. It renders us useless. Just go through pain or grief all by yourself. You can't. You can't go through pain alone. Share it with others. The way through suffering is to find our healing, is to allow others to help us. The man was born blind. He lived as a beggar. Yet after Jesus applied the mud pack to his eyes, he tells him to go wash it in the pool. Now, how do you think the blind man with the mud on his eyes could physically move from where he was to where he was to go to the pool? That man needed some help. The Christian faith is a helping hand. We're in this together. One of the great truths of the church is that we're, one, we're members of one body. And if one member hurts, we all hurt. I take nothing away from the difficulties that we're going through. But I must say there is no worse pain and suffering than when we go through it alone. As difficult times arise, it is tough for us to accept help. If God doesn't seem to make sense in our life right now because of what we're going through, I'd invite you to reach out to others and allow them to help you. Suffering is not God's way to punish us. Tornadoes, hurricanes weren't sent to punish us. COVID wasn't sent to punish us. Through suffering, we discover God's love for us in a way that we never thought was possible. Now, I don't think we have to like suffering. I personally pray that we won't have to experience it. But my hope and my prayer is that when it does come into our life, I can declare, help me God to hold on when everything I believe and feel is being questioned. So, how about you? Have you wondered where God is in your life lately? Have your hurts and sufferings separated you from the God you know and love? Listen to this promise from James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it's finished its work, will allow you to be complete, not lacking anything. Obedience to God is the greatest way that you can show him that you love him, even in the midst of struggle. It reminds me of Jesus looking at Peter and saying, Peter, I know you messed up hugely, but feed my sheep. God is calling us to the same thing. Feed. Be the voice of hope to a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray. God, in the next few minutes, may you cement the things that were of you in my friends' minds. The things that weren't of you, take them from my friends' minds. 
Thank you for allowing us in a broken world to have a Savior who can save us. Thank you that we have a God who is more than enough. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.